The following audio was recorded at Stone Oak Bible Church. For more information about our church or for more resources, visit us at stoneoakbible.com. Well, good morning, church. If you have your Bibles, would you grab them and would you open with me to 1 Corinthians 15? Um, while you're getting there, I, uh, there's an old quote by C.S. Lewis, and uh, he says in this quote, he says, If we find ourselves with a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that we were made for another world. Oh, I love this quote. I love this quote because he puts words on something that we all feel. Uh, Lewis points to the fact that we can't find full satisfaction in this life. I mean, we can chase money, we can chase success, relationships, status, whatever it, it is. We can chase it all. And yet, we're not able to find full satisfaction. We have desires that cannot be fully met by the things of this world. But as I think about this quote, as true as that all is, I think this quote actually is more than just material stuff like the money and the possessions and all of that. Um, But I think this quote also points to something deeper in us, deeper longings. Um, For example, think about it like this. I'll call it the Christmas effect. (laughs) Um, so, so think about this example. Think about Christmas. You know that feeling that you get before Christmas leading to Christmas, the anticipation, the buildup for Christmas, all of it leading to that moment, that day, that morning when Christmas is finally here. But then what happens? Well, the day it comes and then it goes. And no matter how good that day was, no matter how sweet the morning, the time, it's over. And there is this letdown because life kind of goes on. The Christmas effect is when we have a strong desire for something, for it to be perfect, for the perfect morning. And then the moment, it's like we believe that this moment is going to complete us. It's going to be everything. It's going to be whole and it's going to be amazing. But then no matter how good, no matter how good the day is, it comes and goes. And it's like, church, it's like this always this this itch that's left it's left unscratched and so christmas comes and christmas goes and yet and yet we still have this this itch that is unscratched and so lewis meets us in that place and says if we find ourselves with a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy the most probable explanation is that we were made for another world lewis is saying you are meant to find full satisfaction. Lewis points us, he points out this feeling in us and reminds us that we were made for more. That we were made for more. But listen, as powerful as the Christmas example might be, I I think that the most 
the most powerful example of the truthfulness of Lewis's quote is not Christmas, but it is actually, church, it's Easter. For anyone who has ever had to face death of someone that you love, for anyone who has ever had to deal with death, in, it is in that moment and in that time that we face the deepest desire in us that cannot be satisfied. See, we desire not to die. We desire for our loved ones to not have to die. We have a deep desire in us that we would not have to deal with death at all. And each time that we face it, it reminds us in a deep and a profound way that this world cannot truly satisfy. As odd as this may sound, as we look at scripture, as we turn to scripture, scripture reminds us of how unnatural death is. And you hear that and you think, pastor, that's crazy. What are you talking about? Death is as natural as it gets. I mean, Lion King, like circle of life, right? <laughs> it's natural. And of course, yes, in this life, yes, it is Lion King. It is. But remember, it was not always this way. We read in Genesis, in the garden, life before the Lion King reality. Adam and Eve are living in true communion with God, harmony with each other and with creation. This was life before death. And then in that moment, in Genesis 3, we read about what we have seen over the last couple weeks, the fall. And we read in Genesis 3, right in this moment, we have the serpent comes to the temptation through the serpent comes to the woman. And did God actually say that? And then the the woman responds, well, well, let me clarify. I mean, we can eat of all the trees of the garden except for that one. Because what did, what happened? God says, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, or what? Lest you die. But the serpent said back to the woman in this moment, you're not you're not going to die. That's not it. What it is, is that God just knows that when you eat it, your eyes are going to be opened. You're going to be like him and, and he doesn't want that. That's all that's going on here. And so what did, what happened in this moment is, is the man, the woman, they doubt the character and the word and the truth of God. And they look at the fruit and they see it's good, that it's a delight to the eyes and it's desired and they take it and they eat it. And it was at this point, church, where shame enters into humanity. Their eyes were opened. They were filled with shame. They hid because they realized that they were naked. And God then looks and says, what is this that you have done? Church, it was in this moment that brokenness entered. The last two weeks, we've talked about how it was this moment when separation entered, how it is this moment that sin entered, but don't miss this church because it was also in this moment that death entered. We are humans created in the image of God, created to live in eternal communion with our God. Church, that is natural. But it was in this moment for the first time that we were faced with mortality, with death. And that's why I say, church, this is not the way it should be. This is unnatural. 
This is why whenever we face death, we are also faced with this deep feeling inside of us that things are not meant to be this way. They shouldn't be this way. Going back to Lewis, if we find ourselves with a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that we were made for another world. Church, we desire a world without death. We desire, church, to never say goodbye. We desire for permanence. And the most probable explanation for that is that we were made for another world. Easter reminds us of this. Easter reminds us of how unnatural death is. And Easter reminds us of the life, the world for which we were created. And here's the reality. Today, we look to Jesus, we celebrate Jesus, who willingly gave his life, who willingly laid his life down. Jesus, who was crucified under Pilate, who was beaten, whipped, and mocked, and nailed to a wooden cross, and died a painful death. And in his suffering, in that moment, he took all of the sin of his people, he bore it all, he took it all, and he was the sacrifice once for all given. He breathed his last, he gave his life, it is finished. Today we look to Jesus, we celebrate Jesus who was taken then from the cross, placed in a borrowed tomb where he lay for three days. And church, today we look to Jesus, we celebrate Jesus who did not remain in that grave. Today we look to Jesus, we celebrate Jesus who rose from the dead. And not some spiritual hocus pocus here, not some trick, not some religious fairy tale. No, church, our faith rests in the literal, the bodily, the historic, empty tomb, the resurrection. Paul says, If Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. Our faith hinges on this. In this moment today, we celebrate Jesus who conquered death, but don't misunderstand just how big this is because in this resurrection, in his resurrection, Jesus not only conquered his death, which is incredible, but in his resurrection, Jesus not only conquered his death, church, Jesus conquered death itself. In other words, Jesus has conquered death so that death will not have the last word. For all of those in Christ, death is not the end. For all of those in Christ, going back to the words of Lewis, if we find ourselves a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that we were made for another world. Church, Jesus' resurrection gives us the promise that the desire that we have in ourselves will ultimately find satisfaction in him on that day. And in light of this, um, I want to turn our hearts to one short scripture this morning. It's it's 1 Corinthians 15, verse 26, and it simply says this, the last enemy to be destroyed is death. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. Let's unpack this together. There's a couple important things that we need to see here. First, the text says the last enemy. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. 
in this life church you have real enemies and and the text uses the war of uh, the language of war warfare language and, and my question to all of us is do we believe this because i i think in our world of increasing secularism and materialism we might even find it hard to acknowledge uh, that we are actually in a battle i mean i uh, i'm reminded of the words of paul in ephesians 6 that says be strong in the lord um, and in the strength of his might and put on the whole armor of god Again, that's that's warfare language. And then what does Paul say? He says that you might be able to stand against the schemes of the devil, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. See, Paul is reminding us of the spiritual battle that we face. And I got to be honest here, I, I, I think that sometimes the most successful attack of the enemy is not not the full-blown frontal assault on, on you or on the church. Because I think if the enemy did that, that might wake us up, wake the church up, and we m- might start believing things like, you know, the gates of hell are not going to prevail, and we might start getting bold. And the last thing that the enemy wants is for the church to be awake and bold in Christ. That's not what he wants. So I, I, today, it seems to me that the most successful attack that the enemy has is this gentle and subtle lulling to sleep. See, we will not put on the armor of God if we really don't believe we're in a battle. We really won't put on the armor of God if we really don't believe we need it. But what is Paul doing in this text? He's reminding us of the truth that we are in a spiritual battle with physical implications. We have real enemies. In fact, over the last couple of weeks, we've looked at two of our enemies. Um, separation and sin. And Paul calls out these enemies in here in our text. And more than that, he calls out the truth that these enemies will in fact be defeated. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. So this is why the Christian life, we, we refer to it as the victorious life, not because we are we win any victory through anything we do. It's not some you can do it kind of message here. But the Christian life is a victorious life because Jesus conquered it all. In fact, I want you to hear me. Any claim that scripture gives you about you being strong or you overcoming, um, listen, that claim is always detached to Jesus. You might walk around, in other words, saying, you know, I can do all things. But don't you forget the other part of that verse that says you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. You might walk around saying, I I am an overcomer, but don't you forget that it was Jesus who says, take heart when you face trials because I have overcome. See, in Christ, we have victory because Christ is victorious. And so from this text, what we see in this short verse is we really do have an enemy and your enemy really will be defeated, will be destroyed. But the, the third thing I want us to see here is that our verse says the last enemy to be destroyed is death. In church, again, this is not just a reference to Jesus's death, although that is the foundation. This is a reference to death itself. Um, I know our we're only in one short text, but I want to zoom out and give us some context and read what comes right before verse 26. 
Because if you look back and you read 1 Corinthians 15, starting in 21, Paul goes all the way back to the garden. What we just talked about already this morning. He says, for as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection from the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. And then listen, but each in his own order. Christ is the first fruits, and then at his coming, those who belong to Christ, then the end comes when he delivers the kingdom of God to the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. Don't miss that. That's Ephesians 6 language right there. You have an enemy. Remember what Paul says in in Ephesians 6, you don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers and authorities and powers, right? Well, as we Look at our text here. It says, then, come the en- then comes the end. When he delivers the kingdom of God to the Father after destroying what? Every rule, every authority and power. He takes it all. And it, it, again, you really do have an enemy. And again, Jesus really will destroy them. And then listen how Paul continues. For he must reign until he's put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death, for God has put all things in subjection under his feet. Church, the enemy is defeated. Separation is defeated. Sin is defeated. And death is defeated. But I don't want to stop here this morning. I don't want to leave it here this morning, because here's my concern, that we might hear all of this and think of it, take it all in, in theory. (laughs) Like, you know, hear this and say, I I get it, Pastor Victory, it's awesome. Um, Yet I fear that we might leave it up there in the clouds and not really take in the full reality of this this morning, because this is everything, church. Over the past couple weeks, we have tried to find our place in the big story of Scripture, right? We've tried to zoom out. And and like we've said, um, we've tried to go from the stories of scripture to the story of scripture. We've tried to find the, see the big picture and see how all the stories fit, see how we fit, right? And so as we look at that big story, we see the story just unfolding through scripture and it starts with creation, That our God created all things out of nothing, speaks it all into existence, and calls all that he created good. Then creation then quickly moves into the fall. We read this this morning in Genesis 3, the moment when man and the woman sin against God, when all creation experienced this deep and profound brokenness, when for the first time we see separation, sin, and church, we see death. This is the fall. Then, because of the great mercy of our God, love of our God, our God does not leave us there. Because then we move into redemption, where our God steps into the separation, puts on flesh and dwells among us. When our God takes on our sin, as Jesus conquers sin by taking it all in on his shoulders as the perfect Lamb of God. Through Christ, we were saved from the penalty of sin. Through Christ, we are being saved from the power of sin. And ultimately, through Christ, we will be saved from the very presence of sin. And sin will be no more. 
What about death? I mean, I hear you, Pastor. You've talked about how we're able to draw near to God through Jesus. We've talked about sin, how we wrestle with it and put it to death through Christ. But death, Pastor, we still die. We still face death. Our loved ones still face death. You say Jesus conquered death, but what about death? I still see it. I still deal with it. This is where we turn our eyes to the final stage of the story, church. See, it goes creation, then into the fall, then to redemption, and then finally to restoration. The end of this story. Don't miss this. The end of the story is restoration, full restoration in Christ. And here's the reality, church. Because of the work of Jesus, because he came and gave his life, because he rose from the dead, um, let's think about death here because death has been defeated in two ways. And I think as we hone in on this, we're going to be able to see this more clearly. Death has been defeated in two ways. And I want to talk about these two ways. First, the death's sting today. And then second, death's presence tomorrow. Let's talk first about death's sting today. This is our lives today here right now. This is life in a fallen world, 2021, the world that you and I face. Listen, we face death. Yet church through Christ, we face death differently. See, we mourn, yes. We grieve, yes. We acknowledge the fact that this is not the way things should be, yes. But do we mourn like those without hope? Scripture says no. 1 Corinthians 4 says, We don't want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who who have fallen asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who do not have hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. See, because Jesus lives, church, we face death differently today. We face face life with purpose and joy, and we face death with hope. Christ has taken, I want you to hear me, Christ has taken the permanence out of death. And when death is not the end, then death's sting is diminished. Yes, we still face death, but it's like a cat that's been declawed. To use the language of the psalm um, in Psalm 23, it's not death, it's the shadow of death. And no one has ever been hurt by a shadow. As Spurgeon said, and I love this, death in its substance has been removed and only the shadow of it remains. And he goes on to say, no one is afraid of a shadow for the shadow cannot stop a man's pathway even for a moment. The shadow of a dog cannot bite. The shadow of a sword cannot kill. The shadow of death cannot destroy us. Let us not therefore be afraid. That's so good. Because Jesus rose from the dead, because he lives, we know death is not the end. We breathe our last. We are alive in the presence of Christ. Face to face. And so here, living our lives today, why do we fear death? I mean, mourn and grieve and acknowledge it shouldn't be this way? Absolutely. But fear 
Church, we do not fear death in Christ because death has been conquered. We In Christ, we have nothing to fear today. There's no sickness or no virus, no accident, not, not even old age, nothing. In Christ, we have hope today that takes away the sting of death. Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? But church, that's only a part of it. Because not only is the sting of death taken away today, but I want to talk about the very presence of death tomorrow. What about our grand story here? Because this Easter, we celebrate the fact that Jesus rose from the dead, not just spiritually, but bodily. He arose from the dead and he, it, with a real, tangible, touchable body. He ate food, drank, drinks, slept. And our faith, see church, our faith rests on the bodily resurrection of Jesus. And in Christ, scripture says, through Christ, you will be resurrected like he was. So listen, when you die, you you will your spirit will be with Christ in an instant. But then on that day when Christ returns, you will experience the resurrection like his. See, follow with me here. For those who are in Christ, scripture teaches that God has called you and saved you and that your salvation is by grace of God, through the faith in God and Christ alone. Scripture says that you have been justified. We've talked about how God has saved us and as we've been walking through Romans. Um but for, and, and also, in addition to that, for those who have been justified, we now, Scripture shows us how now we get to live our lives in Christ, growing in Christ, what we call sanctification. So we see God saving us, justifying us, and sanctifying us. And But church, do you know what happens here, right here in, in the restoration part of the story? Um, scripture says that all of this is leading to something that is called glorification. See, scripture calls this the last step. It's kind of the grand finish line for us all. It's glorification. On that day, we will be glorified. And I, I, there's a couple of important things for us to see here. Um, when we think about glorification, um, I see this as the the what the when and the how of glorification and 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 so let's let's try to wrap our minds around this let's start with the first one the what what is it see glorification is when we receive literal resurrected bodies when we receive our literal resurrected bodies. Just as Christ did three days after his death, scripture says that God will resurrect our physical bodies. That's the what. When, when. So number two, glorification does not happen at death, at your death. But scripture says it will happen on the last day when Christ returns. We've already read this verse, but 1 Corinthians 15, 23 says, but each in his own order, this talk about resurrection, Christ, the first fruit, then at his coming, 
it says, those who belong to Jesus. So glorification is when we receive our resurrected bodies and it happens on the day when Christ returns. And the last one, last point of this that I want to make with glorification, and I don't know if you've ever thought about this before, but this really got me this week. Glorification is something that we experience together. I want you to take this in. For all of you who have had a loved one who has passed away. For all of us who have had to say goodbye to someone. For all of us. Listen, glorification is not some individualistic thing that you will just go through with you and Jesus. And and no, hear me, it is so much sweeter. Scripture tells us that glorification is a collective thing and something that we get to experience together. I so appreciate the the way John Piper expresses this, and I wanted to share this with you. Listen to this. It means that glorification will be a corporate reality, not an individual experience that happens to each believer separately at death. He says, all Christians will be raised into glory together while we all lived at different periods of times. We all came to faith at different times. We've all died at different times. It is an amazing thing that God has planned things such that our glorification will occur at the same time. What a great encouragement it is to know that the believers of the past are waiting for us to finish the race ourselves so that we can all experience the great joy of glorification together. What a beautiful truth that is. Not only has the sting of death been taken away because of the work of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus, but there is coming a day, the day of glorification, when death will be no more and we will receive resurrected bodies like Jesus and we will not, we will no longer die. In that moment, death is defeated not only its sting but its everything in that moment we are restored this is restoration and i want you to think about this as we put all this together as we bring all this together scripture where does it begin it begins in the perfection of a garden no separation no sin no death it's perfect do you know church where scripture ends at the end of your bible The very end, Revelation in 21 says this, Then I saw a new heaven and new earth, for the first heaven, first earth has passed away. The sea was no more. Then I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from heaven, from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them. And they will be his people and God will be with them as their God. Church, there's no separation anymore. And then listen to this. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. No separation, no sin, no death, church. This is how the story began in the garden in Genesis. This is how the story ends in the new city in Revelation. This is how it began in creation and how it ends in glorification and restoration. 
Church, I began with the quote from C.S. Lewis that if we find in ourselves a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that we were made for another world. Lewis is calling out the fact that you and I long for another world. We desire another world, a world with no separation, sin, or death. And Lewis reminds us, you long for it. Why? Because you were created for it. You were made for it. In other words, Lewis's words are the longing heart of someone who lives here in a fallen world, longing for glorification and restoration when death will be no more. Today, this Easter Sunday, we look to Jesus who's risen, who's alive, who's resurrected. We look to the only one who satisfies our longing hearts. We long for death to be no more. And the invitation this morning is to come to Jesus, to come to the one who has conquered death. Because it is in Jesus that we have the hope that removes the sting of death today and the presence of death on that day. Today, the invitation is to come to the one who has conquered death.